You can turn with me then to our sermon text for today, which is found in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, through chapter 30, verse 24. Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go in to her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went in to her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and has also heard my voice, and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again, and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. 
Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her, and opened her womb. She conceived, and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we thank you for listening to us uh, and attending to us and providing for us by giving us your word for our good, for our instruction. We pray that you would uh, work by your spirit to uh, edify us through your word that we might understand and live according to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this chapter, we come again to Jacob. Uh, Jacob had fled from his home in the land of Canaan, and he was now in Haran, uh, in the north, across the Euphrates River, um, and far from home. There his uncle had dealt deceitfully with him, had deceived him, had tricked him, had tricked Jacob into marrying both of Laban's daughters and for serving him for 14 years. The first seven went by quickly because of the love he had for Rachel, but the next seven, I'm sure, did not go as quickly, although a lot happened during these seven years, as we'll find in this passage. Uh, The readers of Genesis in the days of Moses would have found that they had something in common with their ancestor Jacob. As Jacob was reduced to servitude by Laban, so Jacob's descendants were reduced to servitude by Pharaoh in Egypt. But after the people of Israel were subjected to slavery in a foreign land, what's the next thing that happened? What did we just read in Exodus chapter 1? They multiplied. As it says there, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians The Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Uh, They increased greatly as a people, as a nation. Well, that's what happened to Jacob, too. When he was in exile, when he was in bondage in a foreign land, what happened? He begot 12 children. This passage recounts the birth of his first 11 sons and a daughter. God was fulfilling his promise to Jacob. What had he told him when Jacob was on his way to Haran? He said, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. In other words, as numerous as the dust of the earth. As his father had blessed him with the blessing of Abraham, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. And we see that God was fulfilling this, was blessing Jacob by multiplying him and increasing his offspring even as he had blessed Adam and Eve at the very beginning, blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, as he had promised Abraham and Isaac to uh, multiply and increase their children, the heirs of the promise, the people of God. Now he was doing that with Jacob. Well, later, the descendants of Jacob ended up in exile and, and captivity in a foreign land after the days of Exodus, in the days of the exile in Babylon, And what did Jeremiah tell the descendants of Jacob when they were brought as captives to Mesopotamia once again? Take wives and have sons and daughters. 
Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Like their forefather, they would multiply, they would return. When God's people are cast out and exiled and oppressed, it's not a time for God's people to give up or to decline or to decrease, to think it's all over. The forge of affliction is often the place in which God rebuilds and multiplies his people. God can humble his people, brings them low, he disciplines them and instructs them, but he has plans for his people, plans for their good and not for evil, plans for a future and for a hope. They will return, and so we do not lose hope, but we rebuild by the grace of God. We find that God had plenty in store for Jacob and was working uh, in his life, even as he was in a low and humble condition in a foreign land. We read also for our New Testament reading Philippians, right? Paul, the apostle, was in prison, and even then his trials served to advance the gospel. The early church grew through this imprisonment, people grew bold, even though there was rivalry and envy, things we'll find in our passage too, it served to advance the gospel. Even if it was from bad motives, people heard the gospel and the people of God increased. The early church in general grew despite persecution, both through evangelism, as well as by raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as well as by not killing them by abortion and infanticide, as many of their pagan neighbors did. So one theme that we have here, which is relevant to the church in all ages, is that of fruitfulness, of multiplying, of God blessing his people with an increase. But there's another theme in this passage as well. The first one is this fruitfulness. The second is that of strife. Strife between rival wives, between Leah and Rachel. As one commentator put it, the narrator stressed simultaneously the rivalry between the women and the way that God blessed Jacob with children. Strife and fruitfulness. Polygamy, being married to more than one wife at the same time, is an arrangement contrary to God's ordinance, and it results in envy and hatred and contention and desperation, as we find displayed in this passage. Leah, what did she desire to have? She desired to have the love of Jacob, her husband, like Rachel had. Rachel had the love of Jacob, but Leah did not, and Leah wanted this love, this attachment. And Rachel, what did she want? She desired to bear Jacob's children, like Leah did. She wanted to bear children, and this frustrated her because she did not for a long time. Now, these two things... A woman's union with her husband and her bearing of children, they were both front and center at the beginning of this book. Front and center in the creation and naming of the very first woman. She was named woman because she was taken out of man to be brought to the man and attached as one flesh to him. Then she was named Eve as the mother of all living, as the one who would give birth to children. Even in God's pronouncements after the fall, his words to the woman, which was only one verse long, had addressed both these things. 
that her conception and birth would continue, although it would be painful, and that her desire would still be for her husband. These are good, natural desires. But here, the fact that there were two wives made these good things occasions of rivalry and contention. And so, we'll come to this passage. First, we'll look at the end of chapter 29, how God has compassion on the afflicted. Then the beginning of the next chapter, how envy uh, leads to strife and other sins. But then also its conclusion, where God remembers. He listens to his people, and he multiplies them. So first, let's look at the end of chapter 29, how the Lord has compassion on the afflicted. We'll find strife and blessing throughout all three of these points. But in this passage, this verses 31 through 35, the Lord has compassion on Leah, and he grants her four sons that she bears. There is strife in this chapter. Uh, She is hated by her husband. That's how it starts. God sees that Leah was hated. Now, you understand this by the verse that came before it. There it had said that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. She was not loved by her husband, at least the way that Rachel was. Uh, A rival had come and received the affection of her husband. And so this is described as affliction, the same way that Israel's affliction in Egypt is described. That they were afflicted. She was afflicted. She was being hated by her husband. And the Lord sees this. And the Lord was attentive to this. And the Lord did something about it. We describe this as compassion or mercy, where you see the distress of someone else and you lay that to heart and you seek to be helpful to them. Well, God had compassion on Leah and her affliction. He was moved by the sight of her affliction to bless her with four sons. He gave her children, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Leah recognized the compassion of God at work that this was no random thing, that she gave birth and Rachel did not, that she saw that God had seen her affliction, had seen how she was hated, in verse 32. And she ascribed her conceptions and births to God. Now, in all of the births of these children, there is both the naming of the child, the name, and then a, a, a description of the meaning of that name, why they picked that name. And it's hard to tell in English, but there's usually one, or actually usually two, plays on words, words that sound like the name in the description. So, for example, um, Judah sounds like the word for, uh, you know, praise. And so, this time I will praise the Lord. Uh, But often there's there's even uh, two, you know, Reuben uh, can, both sounds like the Lord has looked upon, or it sounds like my affliction, the Lord has looked upon my affliction, as well as uh, see a son, you know, but now my husband will love me. A lot of this is in the footnotes in the passage as well. But when it comes to the names, it's probably best to look to the actual description in the text. Uh, the, The footnotes can be helpful. But the meaning of the name, why the names are given, is given in the description that the mother gives. And you can trust that there's a, the, the words sound like the name, and that's why the name 
is chosen. Reuben, because the Lord has looked on my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Uh, and when Simeon is born, the Lord has heard that I am hated, and he has given me this son also. Uh, with the next son, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So his name is Levi. And with Judah, this time I will praise the Lord. And so Leah praises the Lord with the blessing of four sons. And we can learn from these verses, verses 31 through 35. First of all, that marriage is designed for only one beloved. Uh, one evil of polygamy is the rivalry that it introduced. Uh, verse, uh, Leviticus 18.18 18 describes this very scenario. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. Uh, and this is exactly what had happened, uh, that they were rivals. We find in 1 Samuel 1, where there's also a case of men being married to two wives, one of whom is Hannah, that her, uh, the other wife is known as her rival. And they had strife and contention between them. Notice, secondly, that the lack of love in marriage is described as hatred. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, and then in verses 31 and 33, this is described as being hated. Coldness, neglect, contempt, alienated affection, these things are hatred too in marriage when one is supposed to be close. Marriage is designed to be the union of two in one flesh, a bond of love and affection. It's supposed to be the way the bride in the Song of Songs speaks. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. To not love your yoke fellow is to afflict her. When the two uh, cows are yoked together, it's a, it helps them, right? Because they have two that are working together. Uh, it is good when they are in harmony. But when they are not, it can be harmful to both of them because they're still bound together. Likewise, marriage is a great blessing, uh, but it is designed to be a relationship, a bond of love and affection. And when that is neglected, when that is absent, it is ascribed as hatred. To grow cold to your spouse is to harm her. To give that romantic affection to another is adulterous violence. Polygamy is not the only possible cause of this hatred. It's still possible in societies that don't practice it. So let all husbands and wives guard themselves that they do not hate one another, but rather actively, positively love one another and exercise that love and express and communicate that love that it might not be an affliction, but rather a blessing for both the third thing we find in this passage is that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He is not callous to your suffering, whether you suffer affliction in your family or in another context, other kinds of affliction. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, this is a warning to those who would afflict others. In Exodus 22, 26 through 27, the Lord warns his people against depriving a man of his only cloak as a pledge for a loan. He says, don't do that, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body, and what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. I will hear, 
the affliction of this person that you are afflicting, and you don't want me to hear that because uh, you are the one afflicting him. So it is a warning. Don't afflict others because God is compassionate. But it's also a comfort to the afflicted. God saw the affliction of Leah. He saw likewise the affliction of Israel in Egypt. He sees your affliction. He, and this sight is uni- united to compassion and action. He lays it to heart. He does something about it. He is, as Paul describes, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. That's how 2 Corinthians begins. So pour out your affliction to the Lord. Lay it out before him. That's what the psalmist does. He asks for God's help, and he also lays out the situation, uh, describes the agony to his very bones that he might feel, and lays it at the feet of the Lord, calling upon his mercy, appealing to his compassion. Now, this is all the more with the assurance that the Lord Jesus bears your nature and is able to sympathize with your weakness and presents your prayers to the Father and intercedes on your behalf. How much more with this clearer knowledge that we have now should we go to the throne of grace to seek mercy in time of need? Last thing we can learn from this passage is that to see that the children were given and received as a blessing. They were given by God as a blessing to compensate Leah, as it were, for the lack of affection that she was given. They're not blessed in the same way, but this is a blessing that was given to her, and she received it as a blessing too. Everyone saw it as a blessing. It didn't matter how many children they had, the next one was a blessing, and they rejoiced in it. Everyone in this account recognized every child as a blessing. And to be fruitful and multiply and bear children was an honor and a blessing. Leah praised the Lord. May mothers bless the Lord for the children that he gives, as Leah did with Judah. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Not only were these children, but these were a holy seed, the godly offspring, children of Jacob, heirs of promise. One of these children would be the forefather of the Christ, the promised Savior. It would be through Judah that the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, would be born for the salvation of them all. God was faithfully working, even at this point, to raise him up for the good of the world. Let's look then the first 13 verses of the next chapter. First, God is compassion upon the affliction of his people. But then secondly, envy leads to strife and to other sins. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She envied her sister. She was grieved that her sister was blessed. Envy is where you grieve at the prosperity of others. It's when you start to feel hostility against them for the good things that they have received. And because she envied her sister, she gave her servant to Jacob as a wife. She envied her sister because her sister bore children. Children are a blessing. But blessings, whether children or other blessings, can prove the occasion for envy, especially when rivalry already exists. We should give thanks uh, to God when we see others prosper, but envy does not. Envy grieves at it. 
and is vexed by it. When this desire turns into, it is good and natural for a woman to desire to bear children, but when this desire turns into envy towards those who can bear children, this desire has been distorted by sin. Now, Rachel envied her sister Leah, and she directed her frustration at Jacob. You know, give me children, or I shall die. Jacob reproved her. He directed her to God. Uh, He no doubt was doing his part already, and he's saying, God is the one who has not given you the fruit of the womb. This was something to seek from God. When Rebekah, Jacob's mother, had uh, been barren for 20 years, what had taken place before she gave birth? Uh, They sought the Lord. Uh, Isaac prayed, and she was able to receive conception. Rachel was motivated by envy when she gave her servant as a surrogate to Jacob. It was a a practice that was done at that time uh, that that the servant might bear children that would be considered uh, Rachel's children. But this was motivated by envy. And then Leah imitated her to keep up, uh, to contend with her. When she realized that she had ceased bearing children, uh, she imitated her sister. This taking of surrogate wives, of concubines, aggravated the polygamy. It was something that was already portrayed in negative terms and and reproved when uh, Hagar had been taken by Abraham at Sarah's urging. But in this case, uh, the servants are not so much envied. You know, there was later strife between Sarah and Hagar, but here it seems the rivalry between the sisters overshadow any jealousy they might have had towards these servants. Uh, but the, the complexity and the evils of polygamy continued to grow because of this strife, because of this envy. At the same time, we see reference again to God's blessing. Jacob recognized that God was sovereign over the womb and its fruitfulness. Rachel recognized this however imperfectly, with the birth of Dan, that God had given this child. Leah delights also in the blessing of more children, that this is a a cause to be happy. God still worked his will to multiply Jacob, even through these bad choices, similar to how the preaching of the gospel through envy and rivalry was, was still able to advance the gospel and cause people to receive it. Uh, here, the, the envy was sinful, And yet God was able to work his will to multiply Jacob despite it. Now, this is the second time we've come across envy in Genesis. Do you remember the first time? It was not the blessing of children that motivated it, but the blessing of wealth. When Isaac lived in the land of the Philistines, the Philistines envied him and his wealth, and they contended over the wells that he dug. Like here, we have Rachel envying Leah and her children, so she contended with her over Jacob. And they were giving their servants. So envy leads to contention and to battle, to strife. Envy is hatred fueled by covetousness, by greed, and leads to contention. And then it encourages more covetousness because it goes from I want what she has to I want what she has because she has it. And the covetousness even grows. It can also cause you to lash out at bystanders when you are envious at another, it can cause you to lash out at others who are, really don't have anything to do with it. As Rachel lashed out at Jacob in desperation because she envied her sister and provoking his anger. And so avoid envy. 
avoid covetousness. Uh, Make sure that these do not find a place in your heart, for they cause even more trouble than the trouble it is itself. Envy is also another evil of polygamy. The rivalry that polygamy introduces breeds envy and strife between rivals. But envy does not need polygamy to exist. It's a sin you all need to beware. As the Shorter Catechism puts it, the Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor, and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. Expel that from your heart and expel it with the contrary attitude, which is contentment and love for your neighbor and a sense of fellowship with your neighbor so that you rejoice to see the good of your neighbor and even seek to promote the good of your neighbor. Rachel could have rejoiced that her household was growing, uh, and yet she rather chose to envy Learn from Jacob's reproof also that the blessing of children ultimately comes from the Lord, from his hand of providence. And so your desire for children should be expressed in prayer and as well as the thanksgiving for children. So do not turn your frustrated desires against your neighbor in envy and anger, but rather lay them before the Lord in supplication and prayer, casting your cares upon him who is good and wise. So envy leads to strife and other sins should be avoided by us. And thirdly, the Lord listens to his people and multiplies them. We find this in verse 14 through 24. In this passage, God listens to Leah and gives her two more sons and a daughter. And then he remembers and listens to Rachel and gives her a son. Now, in verse 14, we have the first time to, that, that I've noticed at least, first time that the sisters talk to each other. I mean, no doubt they probably talked to each other uh, before this time, but it's the first time that their conversations recorded, um, and perhaps they hadn't talked a lot. Uh, when Rachel asks Leah for the mandrakes that her son had picked, um, uh, Leah charges Rachel with taking away her husband. Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Um, Reuben, the oldest son, was still probably pretty young at this point, but he went out and was able to pick some of the mandrakes during uh, May time, you know, in the wheat harvest. Uh, it's a little unclear with the function of the mandrakes or what exactly which plant it was, whether these were flowers or fruits. Um, the usual explanation is that they were fruits that were uh, thought to increase fertility um, and were desired by Rachel because of that. And she desires them so much that she trades a night with Jacob for the mandrakes gathered by Reuben. And so... Leah, who had been, it seems, neglected by Jacob, uh, is able to spend the night with him. And because she had hired him, as she puts it, with the mandrakes picked by her son. This is not the way marriage is supposed to work. But uh, this was what happened in this situation. It was rather humbling for Jacob, who is hired for the night by his wife. Some people think polygamy is, you know, going to exalt this guy because he has all these wives, but often it ends up humbling him and ends up being uh, in this sort of situation. Perhaps 
perhaps there's a move towards some degree of reconciliation between the sisters as they recognize what each other want. Um, We might see that. We'll see how the story goes after this passage. But Leah is able to stay the night with Jacob that night, and God listens to Leah. God is the one at work in this story, and he gives her three more children. She might misinterpret his blessing in naming Issachar as if she was getting this son in exchange for giving her servant to Jacob. I I don't think that was the case. This is simply what she thought. The narrator is not necessarily saying that was the case. But she responds better with Zebulun, resting on the endowment of God and hopeful that Jacob will honor and dwell with her. Notice she hired him for the night, but she has three children, so uh, it was not simply that night. Perhaps her hopes were not in vain. Even though Jacob continued to prioritize Rachel and her sons, perhaps his love and respect for Leah grew. At the end of this passage, we find that God remembered Rachel. In chapter 8 of Genesis, in the midst of the flood, it said that the Lord remembered Noah and therefore began to decrease the waters. That was the high point of the flood, and he began to uh, take away the waters so that Noah could land. God remembered Noah, and he did something to help him. Later on in chapter 19, it says that God remembered Abraham and therefore brought Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the third time we hear the word remember. God remembered Rachel, and he listened to her and answered her prayer and uh, gave her conception, opened her womb that she might have this child. We're going to hear a lot about in the book of Genesis. His name was Joseph. Joseph sounds like taken away, and she says that he has taken away my reproach, the reproach of, of being barren, and that it also sounds like may he add. And so she prays to the Lord as he has blessed her with one son. May he add to me another son. May the Lord add to me another son. In this passage, we find one more evil of polygamy, the way that Jacob is hired by his wife's trade. is rather humbling, and not the way marriage is supposed to work. Notice also that the mandrakes don't seem to have made the difference. Um, Leah gave them up, and yet she conceived children. Whatever means a person may use, it is the Lord who gives the increase. The conception of human life in particular is a work of God. See also that God hears his people when they call on him. He listens. What does it mean that he listens? Certainly he hears all things, but he he gave attention to the prayer and he answered it. He acted. He blessed them. They learned to look to him for mercy. Throughout this struggle, throughout this process, throughout the mess, they learned uh, through this uh, trial, through these disciplines, to, to look to the Lord for his blessing and to wait upon him and to praise him. So cast your cares upon the Lord that he might uh, give attention to your prayers and, uh, and bless you in his wisdom and his love. And as God had compassion on Leah, he also did not forget Rachel, but in time blessed her with a son and in accord with her prayer would add another son too, a Benjamin. The Lord remembers not as if he ever forgets, But it's a way of speaking of his acting for his people, especially after a trial or a delay or in the midst of judgment, that he will come to their aid, that he will act in time, as he would later remember the people of Israel in Egypt, 
as he remembers his people today. He will not forget or cast them off. So in conclusion, as we look at this whole passage, we can see the evils of polygamy, this sinful distortion of God's design, and a way in which God disciplined Jacob for his deception. That is, he had uh, brought discord and strife and uh, hatred in his own parents' household, so he found strife and contention within his household. Learn to beware hatred and envy and strife. These are ways of the world, attitudes which we once walked in, but now we ought to put off. Hatred and envy and strife. The world passes its days in malice and envy, hated by one another and hating one another. But you who are born again ought to put these things away. And then amid the trials and afflictions of a fallen world, in which you might still experience these things from others, or the consequences of your own actions, turn to the compassion of the Lord. He is compassionate. He sees the affliction, and he doesn't simply think, well, they're getting what they deserved. I don't have to do anything about it. He's probably more compassionate than the average reader of this passage, as he looks upon Leah with compassion and seeks to help her. God is merciful. He is attentive to his people amid the strife. Certainly he is a God of justice, and no one deserves his mercy. But those who call upon him with faith in Jesus Christ, they can be confident that he will send grace and help in time of need, that he will deliver them. He will fulfill his promise to Jacob to make the church of Christ like the dust of the earth and to be with them, to keep them. Cherish also the blessing of children, their heritage from the Lord. Despite the faults of Jacob's household, the fruitfulness of Leah and Rachel would become examples of God's blessing that would be used as a blessing in Israel. As when the people of Bethlehem blessed Boaz, what did they say concerning Ruth? May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Pray that God might use you one way or the other, to build up the house of Israel. Now, for the rest of Israel's history, they would remember that their tribes, their forefathers, their tribes, originated in a foreign land, in exile, in servitude, and in affliction, and they originated in the mercy and sovereign power of God. God was with Jacob wherever he went, and he is still with his people wherever they go. So let us give him the glory and the praise. Join with me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your mercy and kindness that having seen us when we had gone astray and were receiving the just consequences for our ways, that you had compassion and love this world in sending your Son, that we might not perish but have everlasting life. We pray that you would help us who have called upon you through Jesus Christ, that you would deliver us from trials and give us endurance to run the race to the end, that you would use us as instruments of blessing to build up your church, to gather it, to edify it, to raise up children who will worship you in generations to come. We pray that you would uh, build up your body to strengthen every part. We pray that you would take away envy and hatred and strife 
but rather would bless the church in the unity of the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.